Hey, go ahead and have a seat. Such a joy to have you here. Uh, at Elevation, and, and uh, if it's your first time, I just want to say welcome. We are so glad that you're here. Uh, we, we have prayed uh, and believed for you. Uh, we've prayed and believed that God would interact in your life in a powerful way, and so we just want to say welcome. Uh, we hope that as we continue in worship and continue in this time that you feel welcome, but also that you know that there is a God that loves you very much and desires to have a relationship with you. And so we're just excited that you came. And so uh, we are going to be continuing, matter of fact, finishing a series this morning uh, called Monsters in the Closet. Now, some of you are really excited about the fact that we are finishing this series. Uh, I've heard from many of you, and, and um, you know, I know that this series has been really challenging. Uh, if you've given your time to it, I guarantee you there's been things in it that have been challenging to hear, things that were hard to maybe wrestle with. And I even had one of the questions that seems to float around is, Pastor, what do you do if you have all these monsters? <laughs> like, I, I thought we were just, I thought I only had one, but apparently I've got all of them, you know, and, and I, I, I get it. I, I, I suspect that there's one that probably dominates more than the other, but, but the truth is we're human. And we don't always, well, I would just say that we have this propensity to stray. And that's true in all of our lives. And, and the good news is, is that Jesus came to help set us free. And if we'll be open to that possibility, he can help us with whatever monsters, however many monsters you have in the closet. God has the ability to help you with that. Amen. So we are going to finish that series today, and uh, I want to start by simply reading what's just called our series verse, and um, these are the verses that we've been reading over the last few weeks, and I'll just share them with you, but this is in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 3 and 4. Listen to these words. Jesus is speaking, and that's important. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children... You will never, listen to this, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I've spent a lot of time talking about the humility of that and how Christ is trying to say to us that there's something about humility that unlocks the possibility of me not only receiving the kingdom of heaven, but also the transformative power of Jesus in my life. To be humble, it means that I have to posture myself in such a way towards God. That means I have to kind of bow my knee and say, God, you're in charge, not me. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that's hard because I want to be in charge. Now, I know some of you, you know, and the rest of you probably don't ever struggle with that, where you just want to be in charge. Come on. But the truth is, is that as human beings... Since we were born, we've been on this path that either is towards God or away from God. And quite honestly, we tend to rebel against the things of God. And that doesn't even have to be just for salvation. So if you, you know, because you can be a believer in Jesus Christ and have received salvation, but you still can be on the wrong path. That's the thing is like you may be saved, but you may be on a path that leads to your destruction in this life. 
And so what we have to understand is that not only does God want to save us, but he wants to transform us. He wants to help shape us into, into people that reflect the character and nature of God in the world. And in order to do that, he's got to help us deal with some monsters in our closet. And one of the ways that he does that is by simply saying, live with humility because humility will lead to your healing. Additionally, over the last few weeks, we've talked about a couple of other thoughts. We've talked about how control, come on, how control can get in the way. I know that none of you are control freaks. I know none of you ever struggle with anger when things don't happen the way that you want them to happen. Come on. Expectations that lead to disappointment and frustration, Christian frustration, it's a.k.a. anger, right? Right? I mean, none of us struggle with that. And so we talked about how when we try to control things, it, it really can put us on a path that doesn't lead to our success. Because I don't know if you know this, Jesus very clearly says in the word of God in John 10, 10, that he wants us to have an abundant life. And if, if, if that's true, if that's true, which I believe it is, and if we're not experiencing it, then that means that there's something off in me. There's something that I've got to adjust. There's something that I have to surrender to the God that can do something about it. And, and so one of the things that we've talked about is, is not only humility and, and control and anger and how these monsters can get in the way, but we've also talked about how being too self-focused can lead me away from God. Too much me and mine. You know what I'm talking about. I, 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 I get a little selfish sometimes, perhaps you do, but when we get too focused on ourselves, it actually takes our focus off of God and others. And then finally, the last, last week, we talked about how we can uh, ultimately find ourselves walking through life trying to please people, so much so that we don't spend time pleasing God. Like we spend more time trying to please people than we do spending time pleasing God. And so if you missed any of those, that was just a quick recap. You can find all of those online. You can download our app and get to those uh, messages. And if you think those are helpful, please share them with somebody. But today we're going to zero in on another monster. And so just for the sake of definition, what is a monster? What is this monster you're talking about, Pastor? Well, I'm going to give you a working definition. A monster is simply a dysfunctional aspect of our personality, come on, <laughs> that can hijack that can hijack the life of abundance that God wants to bring into our life. Now, that's important because all of us have some dysfunctional aspects of our personality that can hijack that kind of thing happening. More specifically, if you're wondering what, what does that mean, let's go a little deeper. Our inner urges, you know, our, our compulsions, our motivations, and these dysfunctional things that happen inside of us it can do two things. One is it can lead us to success because our personality is a good thing. God made it. And it can lead us to have success, but at the same time, it can also be the very thing that undermines the success that we have once we get there. You've seen that happen, right, in leaders around the world where, where their success drove them to, to, to whatever it is, but then that same personality, that monster side of it, ends up getting in the way and taking away all that, that they have accomplished. It's a sad, sad situation, isn't it? And my heart for you as a pastor is that you wouldn't experience that, that you would be smart enough, wise enough to know that you've got some things in your closet that God wants to deal with that God wants to heal, that God wants to transform so that you can stay on the path of abundance in this life, not just into the next. So 
Today, we're going to deal with a specific monster. Uh, as you know, I haven't been announcing the monsters because I feel if I did, people wouldn't come, you know? They're like, ah, it's not my monster. Oh, that is my monster. I'm not coming. I don't have any interest in hearing what he has to say about that. And so today, I, I give you a new monster, and that's the monster of passive aggressiveness. <laughs> uh, passive aggressiveness, you know? Uh, now, some of you are like, ooh, and some of you are like, ah, and, 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 and there's two kind of reactions to that. One is you've been on the receiving end of it, and it really ticks you off. Yes? Come on. And then some of you, you know, are people who uh, do this. You know what I mean? You, you, this is this is part of your life you you experience the world this way and some people have even called you passive aggressive i mean some of you even know that part of your personality comes with a passive aggressive side you know what i mean like if you are on an enneagram come on you enneagram people uh like you know the nines on on enneagram sometimes get a bad rap you know and and uh, there's others out there but but you you get what i'm saying that, that passive aggressiveness is something that can be very very unhealthy come on very very unhealthy when it comes to us loving each other and loving God and being obedient to the things of God and so if you're wondering what a definition of passive aggressiveness is uh, I'll just give you a few the, the here's one passive aggressiveness is a listen to this a manipulative form of aggression that is not direct and is easily denied get that so let me let me say it again passive aggressiveness is a manipulative form of aggression that is not direct so it's indirect and it can be easily denied and what i mean is it's socially not quite over the line and the person can say well i didn't really mean that you know oh i was kidding ha ha <laughs> and you're like wait a second that feels weird to me that feels weird because i'm not sure what's happening here because it's indirect do you get what i'm saying it's not direct, and so it feels a little weird. And so if you've been on the receiving end of it, sometimes it can even be hard to figure out what it is or if it's actually happening. And then if you think it's happening and you say to the person, I think this is happening, they're like, oh, no, it's not happening. And you're like, wait, I think I'm losing my mind. All right, all right. A couple other ways to look at it is a way of expressing negative feelings, listen to this, such as anger or annoyance, indirectly instead of directly now how does this happen well i don't know all the reasons i'm not a psychologist and and i don't fully understand all of it but i do know that sometimes what happens in the training up of a child what can happen is that these individuals find themselves in an environment where they're not really open to always be honest they're not able to communicate what they're actually feeling at an early age and so this might lead to certain passive aggressive behaviors and 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 so it it can it can create um a confusion about what to do with feelings and thoughts that that they're having and so it leads to confusion so an example of someone who might experience passive aggressiveness or 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 be uh, somebody that that has this in their personality is you might sulk I don't know if you do any sulking, but you might be a sulker. Uh, I feel like you, you guys okay? I feel like I'm, uh, I'm walking through some minefields right now, but uh, uh, you're like, I don't sulk. <laughs> you might sulk. <laughs> you might withdraw from people emotionally. I like to call it the silent treatment. 
or find indirect ways to communicate how you feel indirectly so so phrases that you may have heard from people who maybe have this monster uh or maybe you've said these things uh i'm fine but you're not really fine is this too much is this are we getting too close so is i'm fine but you're not really fine because fine is this nebulous word you know that you're not quite sure what that means uh I mean, here's another one. I mean, if, if that's what you want to do, <laughs> you're like, wait a second. Is that what I want to do? I'm not sure. You know what I mean? Or, or, or um, uh, one of my favorites in marriage is uh, where, where the guy and the gal are trying to figure out if it's okay for him to do something. You know, and, 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 and the, the spouse says, and, and this can go either way. It doesn't have to be just the wife, but, you know, go ahead. Go, go with your friends. Have a good time. But you know, on the, on the back end of that, there's something to pay. All right, okay. Like, so, so there's something on the back end of that. In other words, something hasn't been communicated that that then leads to maybe you coming home and the door's locked <laughs> or a little note that says sleep on the couch and, you know i don't know i don't know or sometimes it kind of comes across as like almost like gossip like i can't believe that person got that promotion you know like to somebody it's sideways talk and 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 it's it's not quite saying what you really want to say um or, or like a leader, I can't believe he made that decision. You know, it's sideways talk. Or how about, sure. Like, sure is a very, uh, you know, indirect word. Uh, internally, though, uh, you might be kind of thinking, yeah, I'll do that, but that's really dumb. Like, I'll agree to that, but this is really dumb. And then what happens is the procrastination shows up because you already have agreed that it's that to do it, but you think it's dumb. And so you start to wait and wait and wait to the last minute to get to deal with it. You, you know what I'm saying? Okay, okay. I'll, I'll stop picking on all of our friends that maybe have this. I think truthfully, we all have some of this. There are times that we're direct and sometimes we're indirect. And I've found that it depends on the person in the room. Like sometimes if you're more intimidated by the person or the situation, sometimes you might be more passive aggressive than you would be in another situation. Have you ever had that happen? We're like, and, and sometimes it makes no sense. Like sometimes you're in a room with somebody and you don't even understand why this person makes you uncomfortable. And, and then, and, and, and so you, you, you act differently around them. Maybe you normally would be direct, but in these cases you're indirect because you're, you're trying to figure it out, you know? And I, so, so I think this can happen to all of us in a variety of ways. And, and so, so today though, I want to try and address it, but I also want to, to zero in on, I think something that can help us. And, and so here's the big idea, okay? Here's the big idea that I think all of us need to see. Say what you mean and mean what you say. All right? Say, say what you mean and mean what you say. In the words of John Mayer, right? <laughs> Some of you know that song. Say what you mean to say. Yeah? You know that one? 
He was writing that about Taylor Swift, I think. I don't know if that's true. I just made that up. I, it's scandalous what I just said. Apparently, they had a rocky romance and, you know, wrote all kinds of songs about each other. And, and, uh, but I really do think for, for someone who struggles with being passive aggressive, one of the things that you can do is start to zero in on, 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 on being able to communicate what you mean and being able to say that to somebody. Now, I realize that isn't easy to do because usually you have a personality and that, well, you do have a personality. And the problem is, is that your personality sometimes keeps you from knowing sometimes what you actually think or what you actually feel. And so sometimes in the moment, it's hard for you to know what to say, what you actually mean. You know what I mean? So, so we're going to spend a little time talking about that today. But in order to do that, we got to zero in on somebody in the Bible that I think uh, experienced some passive-aggressive tendencies, and that's a fellow by the name of Jonah. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the story of Jonah, but Jonah was a prophet. Ooh, ooh. No VeggieTale fans in here. Some of you... Sorry. But Jonah, I can't even say Jonah was a prophet and not think, ooh, ooh. That's really weird. But Jonah was a prophet. And in the Bible, he is described as somebody that God came to and said, hey, I have something for you to do. Now, if you know the story, you know that whatever God had asked him to do, he wasn't interested in doing. Uh, matter of fact, I would say that Jonah was kind of an angry fella. He uh, struggled a little bit um, with, with a, a variety of things. I mean, and I'm not saying that Jonah was a bad guy because Jonah was a pivotal person in the history of Israel. He was important. He, he was an advisor to kings. I mean, he had, he had a very important role in uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. And so it was a, it, 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 I'm not trying to discount him. I'm just simply saying that in this particular experience of Jonah, I think we can create some speculation as we try to understand his personality. And the thing that I see in Jonah is I think he was a fairly angry fella, and, and uh, especially when it came to these people called the Ninevites. He wasn't a fan of the Assyrians. Uh, and if you know anything about this history of Israel, the Assyrians eventually were the ones that came and overcame them and, and put them into exile. So they weren't real good friends. Um, <clears throat> matter of fact, I would just say they were kind of like their sworn enemies. And so God comes to Jonah and says, hey, I've got this idea. I noticed that the people of Nineveh and Assyria are really um, basically walking away from me in such a horrible way that my thought was, let's have you, an Israelite, go to them and tell them that they need to repent. Now, I think if you really get in great headspace, you know, if you're like, okay, we're Israel, we're the blessings of God, and we're supposed to be a blessing to the world, and so Jono should be like, okay, I, I see what you're doing, God. They, they, I mean, there's these pagans, they need the blessing of God, and you want me to go over there and share this news with them that they need to repent and get things right. And so in some ways, like if you're in your best headspace, it makes sense. But I don't know about you, but if God told you to go to your arch enemy and preach that they would repent so that they could be restored. I don't know about you. I'm not sure I'd be all that interested in it. 
I think I would struggle with that. And that's exactly what happens with Jonah. And, and not only does he struggle with it, but he makes some decisions in his anger and his frustration. And the decision that he makes is that he's going to go the other way. He's going to go in the opposite direction towards abundance. Even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, even though he doesn't want to face it, he ends up going in the opposite direction of what God wants him to do. Listen to this in Jonah 1, verse 3. But Jonah got up and he went in the opposite direction to get away from who? The Lord. That's kind of curious, isn't it? It's hard to get away from the Lord. I don't know if you've experienced that. Like you can run, but you can't hide, right? That's how that goes. And so, so, so he's going in the opposite direction, away from the Lord. So put it in our context. He's not walking towards the abundance anymore. He's turned and went a different direction. So, so the possibility of abundance in his life just went way down. He's no longer seeing God. He's no longer being obedient to God. He's allowing the monster inside him to start leading him in the decisions he's making, which ultimately, come on, are going to hijack, hijack his position with God. And that's what we see as we go through the story. So it goes on and it, and it says that he went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving Tarshish. He, he, he bought a ticket and went on board, hoping, look at this, hoping to escape the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. He's running. He's denying what's real. He's a prophet of God. He knows God is real. He's seen God move. He's heard God speak. So he literally is denying what's real and running. And so, so Jonah walks away from his assignment right into the discipline of God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever walked away from your assignment? Have you ever walked away from the thing that God told you to do? Maybe some of us in the room right now, God has specifically told you to do something and you're not doing it. Have you ever had that feeling like God told you to do something and, and you're not really sure that you want to do it and then you kind of wait on it, just hoping, praying, wishing that maybe he would stop saying it? That maybe that, that whatever he's saying would just go away. Turn down the volume, Jesus, right? Well, the thing I've learned about God is that if he's told you to do it, it's still going to be there tomorrow. Like when you ignore it, run from it, turn the volume down, it's going to be there tomorrow. And that's the problem sometimes when we take this passive-aggressive approach or this indirect approach to being obedient to the things of God because at some point it's coming around. God's word is true. And if God says it's right, then it's right. And it's always going to be right. So no matter how far you run, no matter how much you ignore it, no matter what you do in the opposite direction, friends, you, that opposite direction is coming around and you eventually will walk right into the discipline of God. I would rather you experience the abundance of God than the discipline of God. But God loves you so much, he will discipline you. Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about. God's not mean. He loves us, so he disciplines us to make us better. And so, so, so Jonah is walking in the opposite direction, right into the discipline of God. And as he does, the Bible says this in verse 4. 
But the Lord hurled a powerful wind. Now, that doesn't say that the wind happened to blow. Doesn't say that, you know, a wind came from the north. No, no. It says that God hurled a powerful wind over the sea. Do you believe that the God of creation can control creation? I mean, if you believe that, then you have to at least acknowledge that he can do that. Now, I don't think he's always doing that in terms of like he made something happen, you know, so that tsunami or that thing, you know, and so we make these connections and we accuse God of being evil or, you know, whatever it is. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying that the creator of all things has the ability to be over the creation. And so, so, so it says that God hurled this powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. God wasn't done. Like, like Jonah was done. Jonah has, we're done with this conversation. I'm done. And he's walking away. And the hound of heaven says, uh-uh, no, no. We've got something to talk about. Whether you're going in that direction or not doesn't change the fact that I still have an assignment for you. So, 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 so God is not done and he keeps communicating and the way that he communicated was with this storm. I don't like that. I don't like the fact that... that this, look, guys, here's the deal. The deck is stacked against you. You know what I mean? Like, isn't it weird? Has, has like, it, and I think it's kind of like a, a level of rebellious hubris that somehow we think that if I just keep going in this direction, it's going to get better. Like, we really do. Like, God's just going to be like, you know, I'm really busy. I just can't deal with Daniel today. I'll get to him next month, right? Like, he's just going to put it off. I, it just doesn't work that way. And so, so God wasn't done. And so eventually the sailors figure out that, that Jonah is the one causing the problem. Like all these sailors are like, oh, it's you. We knew it was you, right? This, this Hebrew who stowed away on our ship and, and has, basically is ruining our life. They, they, they figure it out. And you know what they do? They, they decide that they're going to throw him overboard. Listen to this in Jonah 1, 15 through 17. Then the sailors pick Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. Thank you. And the storm stops at once. Like, get this. Like, it's, 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 it's this massive storm. They take Jonah, they throw the guy over, and the moment he lands in the water, it's like, <sighs> and they're so excited about this. Matter of fact, the, the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's power and they offered him sacrifice and vowed to serve him. See, that's what miracles do. See, when you see a miracle, even if you're not a believer in God, if you see a miracle, you're interested. And so these pagans were interested. They were like, wait a second, this is interesting. We throw a prophet of God in the water and then God does something. Wow, maybe we should listen. So they start to, to press into this. And, and the Bible says that they made sacrifices and they vowed to serve him. Verse 17. Now, I love this. I love the way this is, this is phrased. Now, the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for making arrangements for me. 
As I was traveling, I appreciate that as I got to my destination, you made some arrangements for me. I love that. I think it's so funny. So God makes an arrangement for Jonah, and it's not in uh, Motel 6. It's in Motel Fish. <laughs> Sorry. It was easy. So it's in Motel Fish, and, and God, God puts him in this fish, the Bible says, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, I know sometimes what happens is people start to, they start to do their science, right? Do, 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 do. You're, you're doing your calculations and you're thinking, okay, okay, I'm really struggling with this because how does God do that? You know, I mean, how big was the fish? I mean, it had to be pretty big to get Jonah inside it. And not just it, like inside it, but apparently he's like sitting around inside it. So it must have been like a really big fish. You know, maybe it was a whale. Maybe, you know, and so you go through all this stuff and I wonder how much Jonah weighed and how long he was. And if that, you know, and you start going through this thing because your mind is trying to get around the, to the fact that, that this is weird. I don't usually see this uh, happen except in fantasy, right? And I just want to say to you, I understand why our minds go there. But just for a moment, is it possible that the God that created all things, that you may even believe created all things, has the ability to create a fish that could then swallow a prophet to teach him a lesson? Now, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I get it, not in science. You're like, well, I don't see it. I don't see it. So what happens is you get stuck on the science. And I'm not even denying the science because I, I believe it was a fish that swallowed Jonah. I believe that. Because I don't see why it's impossible to believe that if I believe there's a God that created the whole world. I mean, if God created the whole world, I can believe in a fish that can swallow a human, right? I'm not saying you do. I'm just saying I do. And so, so, so the fish swallows Jonah. God arranged this opportunity for him. And it's almost like he put him in timeout. You know what I mean? Like he didn't want him to die because he knew if he stayed in the water, he would die. So he puts him in the timeout room, which happened to be a fish. And for three days and three nights, he had a chance to reflect on his behavior. He recognized that his behavior being passive towards God or indirect towards God or maybe even direct towards God in terms of the opposite of what God wanted wasn't a good idea. And so God is working on this prophet. And so it wasn't until, listen to this, it wasn't until Jonah was in the belly of the fish that he, he really confessed genuine sorrow for what he did. So it took being in the fish. It took the pain. It took the discipline. It took coming face to face with how your behavior has caused pain towards someone else or towards God. So it took that to get that person, Jonah in particular, to wake up to the fact that maybe something was wrong. So, so Jonah genuinely confessed with sorrows. Look, listen, it says in Jonah's song that, that is in chapter 2, it says, Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercy. Then he says this, but, look at the but, I will offer sacrifice to you with songs of praise and, listen to this, and I will fulfill all my vows for the salvation, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. 
So, so something changed in Jonah when he was in the fish. I don't know about you, but when the screws get tightened, things change. Like when my behavior sometimes gets exposed, things change. Now, if they don't change, then you've got a problem. You've got pride. You've got an issue. If you don't listen, if someone says, hey, mm, and you're like, mm, don't care. But Jonah in this moment says, I, I, I see it, God. I know what I did. And, 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 and truthfully, I, have a, I, I struggle with this because, you know, it's like you're a prophet of God. Of course you have a problem, Right? But I wonder sometimes in my own life, if God says that to me, you know, where I think I'm, I sh should be aware. But somehow I've become unaware or willfully become unaware. And I just love the fact that God was not done with Jonah and he was willing to come right to the middle of his failures and say, look, I get it, kid. I know, I know you don't want to go. I, I know you don't want to go. I know you don't want to be obedient, but I'm still here because I'm here for your good, not for your comfort. And the sad part is, is we often treat God as, as some cosmic Coke machine that's here to just comfort us all the time. And the truth is, is that sometimes God has to give us a spanking in order to get us back on the right path. Amen. Some of you are like, I don't like spankings. Well, me either. <laughs> so what's the big idea? Say what you mean and mean what you say. So this is completely speculative, right? I'm just, I'm just, just throwing this out. Do you think Jonah meant it? I don't know. Like I read, I read the second chapter of Jonah. I, I mean, it's a beautiful song he writes, right? And, and then there's a part of you, like, when he says, like, yeah, I, yes. But then, in chapter 3 and chapter 4, we see some attitude. You know what I'm talking about? Like, the attitude of, how do you say it? Crying on the inside. You know what I'm talking about? Like, agreeing on the outside, but, but mad on the inside. Which is a very passive-aggressive thing. And so Jonah says, yes, fine. That's what I think he says. But, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he was like, genuinely, he was absolutely committed to being obedient to Christ. And then once he got in it, he got a bad attitude. I don't know. But I know his attitude was not good. Either way. But there is a part of me that wonders if he even had a good attitude. He was just doing it because he was in the fish. You know, like he's in the fish. He's like, okay, I know I'm not going to get out of this fish. So God, uh, uh, I am sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm sorry. But, but, you know, there's something down there, right? You know what I'm talking about? I'm sorry, but something, right? You just, you, you want it to come out. And that's what happens with Jonah, I think, because he, he's absolutely experienced some sorrow because, I mean, who wouldn't? If you were in a fish, you knew you'd been disobedient to God. But the thing that you notice as you read the rest of the story, if you haven't read it, go to, go to chapter 3 and chapter 4. But his sorrow doesn't seem to last very long. It just doesn't. Jonah, uh, uh, it, Jonah is, is still being called by God to go to the people of Assyria and preach 
a message of repentance. And so there's this part of me that he just, I, I have this picture of, okay, he gets spit up on the shore, the fish, he's covered in the fish stuff, right? He's just gooey, comes out, and he starts to walk towards Nineveh. And I can just picture as he's walking, like there's this, like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but this kind of, you know, attitude that's happening. You know why I think that? Because he had bad feelings towards the Ninevites. Those never changed. And you see that in chapter four. So if you have bad feelings, those feelings affect your attitude and your attitude affects what? Your behavior. We call that the fab, right? So feelings, attitude, behavior. So, so his feelings are like, I don't like those Ninevites. His attitude is <laughs> leads to a behavior. And I suspect when he gets before the people of Nineveh, and this is a big city. This is not like he just showed up in some little country town. This is one of the biggest cities that existed on the planet at this time. It would literally be like Jonah is walking into Chicago to say this to the people. And, and, and I can just picture him being like, okay, guys, you need to repent. He didn't want to be too loud about it, right? Maybe he goes to the smallest little borough. You guys need to repent. No, you know what I mean? Like just, a, just lethargic, not very, like he was there to preach. And I think he's just preaching. Maybe, maybe he's just preaching, hoping that it wouldn't happen. Maybe he's preaching, hoping that they don't listen. Like, you know, okay, he's like, I'm, I'm oh, fine. I will be obedient to you, God. I will do what you've asked me to do, but I'm going to show up and I am going to make sure I do everything in my power to hijack this whole thing. <laughs> now, I'm sure Jonah didn't do that. And I'm sure that anybody that has the monster of passive aggressiveness would not do that. But what that's what we see is that he just didn't have a very good attitude and that led to him being obedient to God, but I'm not sure he was enthusiastic about it. And so Jonah, the Bible says, does what God tells him to do. He's angry about it. Clearly, the scripture says that. All of these people repent. Like, literally, the Bible says, like, the, the, the city of Chicago repents. Everybody. From the low ones to the big ones. God does a work, a miraculous work in Nineveh. And friends, this is the very thing that Jonah didn't want. He did not want this to happen. And so guess what? He goes outside the town and he's sitting there. And you know what he's doing? He's sulking. He's sulking and he's angry. He's mad that God did this. Matter of fact, the Bible says in verse one of chapter four, this change of plans, which is funny to say it that way, greatly upset Jonah. What was God's original plan? Was to forgive the Ninevites. So the change of plan is kind of a curious way to say that. God wasn't changing his plan. He already had a plan. He needed Jonah to be the mouthpiece for the plan, but he had a plan. And so, so this change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became what? Very angry. Very angry. 
See, his anger induced this sulking and even caused him to impulsively cry out to God. This is what he said. <laughs> I love this. Jonah 4.3. Just kill me now. Like, I love it. I love that. Just kill me now. Lord, I'd rather be dead than alive if this, if what I predicted will not happen. He literally says to God, I'd rather be dead than to let this happen. No wonder he was moving in the opposite direction. He was diametrically opposed to what God said. Even though he felt bad, he was absolutely opposed. And this is the thing about the story that I think is interesting is I don't even know if Jonah knew that. I'm not even sure he knew it. But then God has this interaction with him where he gives him a little plant and gives him some shade and he feels so good. It's, oh. Then God brings a worm and the worm eats the tree, takes away his shade. And guess what Jonah is again? Mad. And the story ends. I mean, that's the story. You're like, wait, a that's it? Yeah. Because guess what? The story's not about Jonah. The story's, the story's about God. The story is a foreshadowing of Jesus. About how God comes to the pagan, the heathen, you and me, the rebels. And when, when all else, like when everything looks like it's done, when we've gone so far, when you look at our cities and you think, we've, we've gone too far. But God sends a prophet. And that prophet says, you need to repent and come back to me. Because I can tell you, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 or 4 there, talks about God. And that's the purpose of that book. Because you guess what it says. Does God, can I not have mercy on who I want to have mercy on? Can I not love people the way that I said I love people? Can, can I not be to you or be to them as I am to you? Guys, we don't have the corner, corner on the market when it comes to God's grace. Our job is to be distributors of the grace. Israel's job was to be the distributors of the blessing. But sometimes what happens is we forget and so Jonah's sitting there, just kill me now, Lord. It's an interesting story, isn't it? It, it, it? It's fascinating. I love the story, and if you've never read it, don't get hung up on the fish. Because you will lose what the story's about. And I'm not even saying the story isn't real. I think it is real. I think it actually happened. But don't lose sight of what God is trying to communicate. Because see, when you look at the life of Jonah, I think you see a guy that functioned with some passive aggressiveness, that we see it a resistance. And that resistance was an internal resistance that then led to an outward resistance. So something was going on in his heart that led to a behavior on the outside. And so he resists God's demand, demand to perform a particular task. He, he literally bursts like he's bursting with sadness and anger. You know what I'm talking about. You see it short-lived periods of contrition and sorrow for his actions, impulsive behaviors, and general negativity. That's what you see going on with him. You know, I think about his behavior, and one of the things I see is that he's really upset, like explosively so. You know what I mean? 
like it, 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 it comes out, right? It's not, it's not just a little bit, but all of a sudden it just comes out. And, and, and it doesn't always have to be anger. It can be sadness too. It can just come out. It's like, where'd that come from? You ever had that thought? Where'd that come from? Well, it, as Andy Stanley says, if it's in you, it's coming out of you. So when like, we're like, I don't know where that came from. Yes, you do. It came from inside you. Don't blame it. Just say, yep, that came from inside me. And, 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 and what you have to understand is that, that and I'm going to break this down for you. I'm going to go slow-mo on you. Why did that happen? Why did you get angry? Why did you have explosive sadness? Whatever it is, whatever that was, why did that happen? Let me tell you why. We have to slow it down. At some point in the journey, this is important. At some point in the journey, you either agreed to something willfully or unwillingly. You agreed to something. I don't know what the something was. Maybe it was to do something. Maybe it was this or that. I mean, I don't know. But what happens, think of this. Think of it this way. Like there's a big old square here, okay? See the big square? Everybody see it? Come on. Imagine the big square. Inside the square are your boundaries. Okay? See the square? So inside the square are your boundaries. And you live inside the square. These are your boundaries inside the square. Now, if you're in the square and you have boundaries, no one else can get in the square unless you let them. No thing can get inside the square unless you let them. You're like, Pastor, I don't think that's true. It's true. Just stay with me. So there's a boundary here, and you're living in the boundary. Now, something happens. Well, so, for example, um, somebody asks you to do something. Okay, let's just, somebody asks you to do something, and you say, okay, I'll do it. Right? Whatever that is. And maybe when you said, okay, I'll do it, you really meant, I don't want to do this. Okay? So, so you say, okay, I'll do it. Well, you're in there. Now you've allowed that thing in. So that thing that you said yes to is now in your boundary with you. And you may even be on the hook to do something with it because you did what? You agreed. Now, internally, you may have not agreed, but you did agree. So what happens is now you have something in your boundary that does what? It makes you what? Mad! It makes you upset. So there's now something inside the square that you don't want in the square. And so what happens is you look around and there's now something in your square that you don't want in your square. And then over time, it's in your square. And what happens? You start to get angry about the thing in your square. And the hard part about this is, is you allowed it in the square. And now you're mad at that person. But you're the one that allowed it in your square. Come on. And all I'm trying to say is, I'm not even saying we always do this right. I think a lot of times when we're angry and sad and mad, usually, not always, usually, there's something we agreed to that we never wanted to agree to. And then when we're forced to do it, we're upset about it, and then we do this. <laughs> and then it goes, blah! 
I'm just preaching to the choir today. Come on, guys. I know. <laughs> Woo! So, so you say, pastors, are you saying that I have explosive anger and explosive sadness or explosive emotions because I let something in my boundary? Yes! If you don't want to do it, then say you don't want to do it. You're like, well, then I wouldn't have a job. Well, that may be true. <laughs> That's part of the consequence. But you get to decide whether or not you want it in your boundary. But if you agree to it or agree to the job or the profile or whatever it is or through the marriage, come on. Then you have a responsibility and you need to stop being mad at somebody else and start looking at yourself. Ooh. Shake that off. All right. I'm... <laughs> Here, let me just say this. To everybody that struggles with passive aggressiveness, I love you. I do. I've got my issues. I've got monsters in my closet. So do you. So let's all just work on it. Let's all just say, okay, God, I'm going to work hard on, on saying what I mean and meaning what I say. I'm going to work hard on that. I know I'm not always going to get it right. I need grace, but I'm going to work hard on that. And how do you do that? Well, here's the thing. If you struggle with this, this is something you have to understand is you have to work hard at something. What you have to work hard at is knowing how you feel and what you think. That's the hardest part. Because if you don't know how you feel or what you think, you might agree to something that you didn't want to agree to. So if you can understand how you feel and what you think, you can then start to communicate what you mean so that the other person knows that we're now having a conversation with what's real, not with anything that's underneath. That now I'm talking to you. And my wife and I, we have this rule that we mean what we say. So like if my wife says to me, yeah, go have a good time. That's what it means. I don't come home and pay for things. Why? Because... We mean what we say. We have to be healthy people. And so if you don't want it, then say that as best you can. All right? A couple other thoughts. Just really important. Procrastination is always an unhealthy strategy for you. It just is. Because more than likely, behind your procrastination is a frustration around something. And that can lead to a problem. And then finally, just learn to communicate more directly. Practice it. Doesn't mean you have to be mean. It just means you learn how to say something more directly. And then finally, if you're somebody here and have a, has a passive aggressive partner, all right, I wanna help you. Is this helpful? I, I think it is. If you have a passive aggressive partner, passive aggressiveness needs to be confronted directly, not through text, Not through email, not through anger, but it needs to be addressed directly. You can't get mad at someone for being indirect if you then are indirect with them, even if you don't struggle with passive aggressiveness. Your job is to be direct and say, I see this, help me understand what's happening. Or here's another thought for somebody that has a passive aggressive partner is investigate their feelings and what they actually think. Like, slow down and say, okay, tell me how you're really feeling. 
tell me what you're really thinking. And take the time you need before anything gets in the square. Before any agreements are made. So that you know where they're coming from. And give that person time to think through what they actually think. And then finally, lovingly, everybody say lovingly. lovingly. Hold them accountable to it. Lovingly hold them accountable because it's not easy for them. But that doesn't make them bad. Just like your monster doesn't make you bad. And all of us need to give each other more grace as we try to deal with the things in our life. Now, if you have somebody that's like, I ain't dealing with nothing. Well, then fine. You don't have to be, don't be as nice to them. Be more direct, right? Well, you have problems and you're going to ruin it. You're going to ruin the day that you don't deal with your issues. And maybe that's what you need to say to them. In a loving way. You don't have to be mean because truth isn't mean unless you make it mean. All right. Man, that's good, Pastor. Thank you. <laughs> I love you guys. I, I hope that this message series was helpful to you. Um, because I know for me, it was super helpful to think through some things. And I hope it was for you as well. I want to pray for us. God, thank you for your word. I ask in Jesus' name that you would help all of us to mean what we say and say what we mean as best we can so that we can always communicate well with each other. Because God, we know that the enemy is busy. He's always busy in our communication. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help us with that. As we continue in prayer, you know, one of the things I'm happy about, I'm happy that we serve a God who dealt with our sin directly. He didn't deal with it indirectly. He didn't deal with it in some kind of passive-aggressive way. He sent his son to deal with our problem, not his problem, our problem, directly. And I'm just grateful that I serve a God that sent his son, Jesus, to deal with my sin problem directly. Perhaps you're thankful for that today too, that you serve a God that dealt with your sin problem directly. And maybe just for a moment as we're in prayer, just say to, say to the Lord, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for dealing with my sin directly. Thank you for washing away all of my sins so that I might stand before you righteous and holy because of what you've done for me. Mm. Thank you, Lord. I suspect that there's somebody in this room that maybe if you were honest, you'd say, I, I don't know if I've had God do that for me. He's done it, but whether or not you've received it. And I just want to say to you, God wants to deal with your sin directly. Jesus Christ came into the world for that reason. And so what I want to do is I just want to pray for anybody in this room today that would say, you know what? That's something I need. The Bible says that if you will enter into a relationship with Jesus through faith, that he will save you. 
that he will get, begin the process of transforming you, helping you deal with these monsters. Because I'm just telling you, if you're trying to do it on your own, good luck. You need God and you need his power. And so I want to pray for anybody today that would like to take a step of faith. You know, the Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is, that he literally will come in and begin a relationship with you. And all you have to do is say yes. And so, church, let's all pray together. If you're here today and that's your, your desire is to enter into that relationship with God, would you, would you say this prayer after me? Nothing magic about it. All it is is you just, I just ask that you mean it. And so, church, let's pray together. Repeat these words. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you set me free? I surrender my life to you. Will you be my Lord? Would you change me from the inside out? Would you help me deal with my monsters? Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I choose this day to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we just celebrate anybody? Come on. We're so proud of you.